Are you ready to go to the Word of God this morning? Come on now, you can do better than that. Well, are we excited about the Word this morning or are we not? Hallelujah. Yes, I am. You know, this is, this is why I get so excited about when I open the Word because it's changed my life. For many of you, it's changed your life as well. So I tend to get excited about the Word of God. Yeah, amen. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness toward us. We just love to celebrate your presence, Lord. Uh, we love to sing to you. We love to acknowledge your goodness in our lives. And uh, Lord, as we open your word now, uh, we're excited about your word. And uh, Lord, it has changed our lives in so many ways. So as we open your word now and begin to study it, uh, Father, um, I'm going to ask for extra help for me this morning. Uh, as I open my mouth, I pray that you would fill it with words of life and strengthen me in a way that you've never strengthened me before. I pray for the hearers today, Lord, that our faith would be strengthened, our faith would go to a new level today. That's what I'm praying, Holy Spirit, by your Spirit, that our faith would rise today. I pray that as this word is proclaimed, that it would not fall on deaf ears or fallow ground that it would be planted in the, the good soil of our hearts where it would produce a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake many times over. Father, let it produce fruit in our lives. And we pray that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake today, that the enemy of our souls would not be able to uh, stand against this word in any way, would not be able to resist or inhibit or hinder the proclamation of it or the hearing of it. And that we all, as a church, as a congregation, as, an in, as individuals and families, would learn to operate in your strength, in your power, and your ability today, Lord. And Lord, lastly, I pray that you would cause me to personally decrease today so that you would increase, that all eyes would be upon you today, Lord. All eyes would be upon your word today. All attention would be upon you and your word today as you speak to us. So Holy Spirit, we're looking to you to speak today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 48. And we're continuing with a series that I began about a month ago, I guess now, called Building a Firm Foundation. And we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 6, the first two verses, where it mentions several things that we need to understand to help us to grow to maturity. And in Hebrews, that's not our master text, but I'll, I'll pull that up on the screen and we'll read it again here in a minute. But as you're finding our master text in Genesis 48, let me just remind you that in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, sorry, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we see several different things, several different doctrines that the writer of Hebrews says that we need to understand, and these are basic doctrines that we need to understand to go on to maturity. So I'll get to that in a moment. Let's read our master text for where we're going with this teaching this morning. Genesis chapter 48, uh, verses 10 through 9. And when you find that, if you would, stand up with me and let's honor the holy, majestic, God-inspired word of God. Verse 10. Now Israel's eyes were failing. Israel is Jacob. That's, that's, that was his new name. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of his old age and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons to him, close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim, and on his right toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd 
all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. Verse 17, when Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. And he blessed them that day. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. Let's read that passage that I was referring to a moment ago that is our original master text in this series, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, which says, uh, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and I have that highlighted because that's our topic today, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So what we've been doing in this series is we've been going through all of those listed there, since these are considered foundational doctrines of our faith, we need to understand these better. So we've been going through these one by one, and we've already covered uh, repentance from dead works and a faith toward God and the doctrine of baptisms that we discussed last week, and now we're ready for the laying on of hands. Now, these doctrines, by the way, we are supposed to have mastered by now. I'm going to say that again. These doctrines by now we are supposed to have mastered according to the writer of Hebrews. See, these six principles uh, the writer of Hebrews considered elementary school Christianity. Let me say that again. The writer of Hebrews considered these doctrines elementary school Christianity. He was saying that until you understand these things, you can't really go on to full Christian maturity. You know, as it pertains to our topic today on the laying on of hands, someone once asked Oral Roberts what his most difficult moment in ministry was. And his answer was really surprising because he said one time in Brazil when he was ministering there, he ministered in front of a crowd of 500,000 people, half a million people. In Brazil, And most people would think, wow, that's, that would be a great ministry moment. But Oral Roberts went on to explain that his ministry worked through the laying on of hands. And with that many people present, he just couldn't do that. And that was a very difficult ministry moment for him because, again, his ministry works through the laying on of hands or worked. He's with the Lord now. But his ministry worked through the laying on of hands. So he considered that a difficult ministry moment that he couldn't lay his hands on the people when he ministered to them. So what is it about the laying on of hands that makes this a fundamental doctrine of the Bible? Uh, why is it so important and why, if this is so important to our faith, don't we hear it talked about more in our churches today? Well, I don't have an answer to that latter question except to say that, again, our, our church culture in America really isn't all that healthy right now because we spend so much time as a church culture trying to entertain people and maybe inspire them with self-help teachings that we now spend very little time on doctrine, unfortunately. And again, as I said last week, sometimes when you would mention the word doctrine in today's church, you have to try to pull out the smelling salts for people. Really? A doctrine? Oh, yawn. But no, we need doctrine as a basic, solid foundation of our faith. But as the importance of today's topic, the laying on of hands, I hope to help to unravel some of that today for you and help us to all to understand that a little better. So as I jump into this, I want us to do a little exercise together. Um, take your hands, if you will, and just hold them up, uh, palms facing your face, Hold them up in front of you. 
and just look at them. Just look at them for a moment. Just examine those hands for a moment. And I want us to all say together, my hands are instruments of God's power. Can you do that? Let's say that together. My hands are instruments of God's power. Once again, my hands are instruments of God's power. Now, while you may not have a strong conviction about that at the moment, this is what the Bible teaches. And it's always been intended to be a central doctrine of the church from the very beginning. See, from the very beginning of humanity even, um, God has used the laying on of hands for the supernatural transfer of power, blessing, spiritual gifts, and authority. Of course, your hands have no magical power uh, by themselves, that's true, but God in his wisdom has designed for the hands of his children to be means of the transfer of spiritual goods, such as healing, deliverance to the oppressed, and so much more. So, let's go through a little chronicle, if you will, of some examples of the laying on of hands throughout Scripture to establish this fundamental doctrine. So let's begin by the laying on of hands in the Old Testament. Now, it's well established in Scripture that human hands are the instruments through which blessings would be transferred from one person to another. So again, let me give you some examples of that in Scripture. Genesis 27, Isaac blessed Jacob through the laying on of hands. In Genesis 48, Jacob blessed Joseph's sons, as we just read. That was our master text. And in Exodus 28 and 29, Moses anoints Aaron's sons as priests through the laying on of hands. Now, I want to make an observation here that when Moses blessed Aaron's sons, the call of God was being acknowledged on their lives at that moment. But there's also another element about this that maybe you didn't recognize, and that's this. The call of God was also awakened in them at that moment through the laying on of hands. You know, when I was called into ministry by my friend and mentor, Dr. Jerry King from Fort Worth, Texas, many of you were here for that ceremony when he anointed and, and called into commission several of our elders and me being one of them, and we all knelt right here, and he put his hands on each one of us. Do you remember that? There was a transference of spiritual authority through the laying on of hands. Uh, but let's go on here. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, this is Numbers 27, 18, and the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Lay your hand on him. So, Again, there was a transference and an impartation that took place when uh, Moses laid his hands on Joshua. And I also want you to notice this next verse that's in Deuteronomy 34, 9. that says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. So once again, a transference and an impartation took place when Moses' hands were placed upon Joshua. There's many more examples in the Old Testament, but let's fast forward into the laying on of hands in Jesus' ministry. This is Luke 4.40, and it says, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick, uh, any who were sick, with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on a few of them and healed them. Oh, oops, sorry, I read that wrong, didn't I? And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Laid his hands on them. I, and, okay, let me just qualify something. Uh, we hear so much religious tradition today about, well, you know, God's teaching you something through this particular illness. Uh, God is, some people even say, well, it's a punishment from God. Well, that's not what Jesus said. This says everybody that came to him seeking healing, he was willing to heal them. He laid his hands on every one of them. See, the scriptures also tell us that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And if we believe these religious traditions that 
deviate from the Word of God, then we're not going to get the results that we're looking for. Maybe I lost some of you on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I want you to notice this. In Mark 6, 5, it makes a very interesting statement about Jesus when he went back to Nazareth to minister there. Look at what it says. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, he went back to his hometown where there was a great degree of unbelief because this was his hometown. They were offended at him because they said, well, isn't this Joseph's son? Aren't his sisters among us? Even doing miracles. And they took offense at him because they knew this kid. They, he was brought up in that town. A lot of people knew him from the time he was small. So they couldn't accept him as the prophet or the son of God. So they couldn't receive from him. Now I want to bring out an insight here. That word sick that's translated into sick out of the Greek into the English is the Greek word arestos, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, arestos. And arestos means this, extremely ill, even to the point of being comatose. Now, here's what we don't get out of the English rendering of the Bible, because English is such a, it's such a limited language compared to the Greek, which is so much more expansive. So by bringing out this detail, here's what we can kind of read between the lines where this scene is concerned when Jesus went into Nazareth. In other words, I believe that he was saying that it may very well have been that Jesus couldn't find very many conscious people in Nazareth who would cooperate with him and have some faith. So he went out and found unconscious people who he could lay his hands on. And maybe his thinking was, these people are unconscious, so they don't doubt. <laughs> right? It's easier to work with unconscious people in this town than it is the conscious. And how did Jesus heal those unconscious or comatose people or those extremely ill people? By laying his hands on them to impart power. This happened again and again in Jesus' ministry. Now, granted, there were times where he did heal with just a word, like the centurion servant one time he healed, and the, the, the servant wasn't even present at the time, and he healed that person, and that happened from time to time. But most of the time, Jesus healed through the laying on of hands. That's how he did it. Let me give you a few other examples of Jesus laying his hands on people in his earthly ministry. In Matthew 8.15, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law through the laying on of hands. In Matthew 9.29, Jesus heals the blind through the laying on of hands. In Matthew 17.7, Jesus imparts encouragement to his disciples through the laying on of hands. And then I love this, Mark 1, verses 40 through 42. I love this because you see the compassion of Jesus and his willingness to meet needs. Let's read this together. Then a leper came to Jesus, begging on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion. And I love that phrase right there. Jesus was moved with compassion for this leper. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and the man was cleansed. So much for social distancing, huh? So much for hygiene, huh? This was a man, by the way, that everybody else was social distancing from. That was the, you know, that was the practice of the day. They didn't quarantine the healthy, by the way. Can I insert that in here? They didn't quarantine the healthy. They quarantined the sick, the highly contagious. So when these lepers had to come into a, a region, a town, away from their lepers' camp, they had to shout ahead of them, 
unclean, unclean, so that everybody would know that they're a leper and that they could get out of the way so that no one would be in close proximity with this person and touch him. And I can just imagine that scene where this leper was wanting Jesus to heal him. And like, let's say since Lily's in close proximity, let's say in this, this little story here, this anecdote, that she's the leper, that I'm Jesus, and everybody else is scattered. And Jesus walks up in close proximity to Lily. And everybody else is going, because <gasps> he's in close proximity with the leper. And then he does something outrageous. He reaches out and he touches the leper and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Isn't that great? Jesus wasn't afraid of germs. Okay? He wasn't afraid because the power of God flowed through him. And he's wanting us to do the same. On that note, let's go to the book of Acts and see how they operated. In Acts 6.36, the apostle appointed deacons in the church by laying their hands on them. They appointed deacons in the church by laying their hands on the deacons. Now, by the way, a deacon wasn't even any kind of leader in the church back then. Deacons were servants and administrators who simply did some of the busy work of food administration and, and uh, some of the other things that the apostles didn't have time to do because they were occupied with the, the study of the word and the, the preaching and teaching of the word and also devoted themselves to prayer. So these other administrative things they passed off to these people that were called deacons back then. Nevertheless, since deacons were only administrators and, and, and helpers, nevertheless, this work too was very important to make sure that the apostles could forge forth with um, making sure that they had plenty of time to pray, to study the word, and then disseminate and teach the word. So this was a very important work that the deacons were doing to help the apostles. All right? So this was very important. So... Having said that, the apostles appointed these men to the work by imparting spiritual power to them through the laying on of hands. Even for that work, they laid their hands on them to impart spiritual power for that work. Let's move on. Let me give you a few other examples here out of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, Saul, uh, who later became Paul, and his ministry partner Barnabas were commissioned to their work through the laying on of hands by the prophets and teachers of that time and place. Acts 8, 14 through 17, Peter and John laid their hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9, 17, Saul, uh, again later to become Paul, was healed of his blindness and filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands of Ananias, a man named Ananias. And then finally, Acts 19, and this is, again, a very partial list. Uh, Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, Paul preached Christ to men in Ephesus, and when he had laid his hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied. All right, so all of those things were imparted through the laying on of hands. Now let's move to the epistles. Now, if you don't know what that word means, if you're kind of new to your Bibles and new to church, an epistle is just a, a letter to the various churches that became canonized uh, as part of Holy Scripture. So that's what that term means. So let me give you uh, one example uh, out of the epistles. 1 Timothy 4.14. Timothy was an understudy of the Apostle Paul. So he's writing to Timothy, who is being... Again, brought up under Paul's ministry and um, being um, prepared for ministry in, as a pastor. Timothy was a young pastor. So Paul said to Timothy, Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. You, you see this all through the scripture. And I'm going to lead up to a minute here about why this is important for our time. So Paul understood that through his hands, spiritual gifts had passed into Timothy's life. 
See, Paul was so convinced about the importance of the laying on of hands that in Romans 1.11, he went on to, uh, to write to the congregation in Rome, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Now, Paul was saying that he needed to be there physically in order for that impartation to happen. And that's because he needed to lay his hands on the people. All right. So that's a great little historical lesson that I just gave you on the laying out of hands in Scripture. But how does that apply to us today? All right. I'm getting ready to show you. In Mark 16, 18, this is Jesus speaking just before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection. And he said, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So, folks, according to Jesus, your hands and mine are God's instruments. They're God's instruments. Well, if that's true, why don't we see more demonstration of that today? Well, I'm going to address that for the next few minutes here. And the answer goes back, first of all, to what I showed you in Mark chapter 6. So let's revisit Mark chapter 6. We're going to talk about the two barriers to breakthrough that sometimes prevent us from this being manifest in our lives today. The first barrier is this, the atmosphere. The atmosphere. See, remember, I'm going to revisit this Mark chapter 6, verse 5 for a moment. He, Jesus, could not do any miracles there except he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, folks, it did not say Jesus wouldn't do many mighty miracles in Nazareth. He said he could not do it. That's what the Bible says. He could not do it. Why? Because Jesus' ministry operated through not only his faith, but the faith of the individual and the atmosphere and the region that they were in. You saw that many times. As a matter of fact, um, if you don't think that that's accurate, in Scripture... Uh, in the New Testament, in the Gospels specifically, there were 19 different healings by Jesus. Now, it may seem like it's more than that because some of those are repeated in some of the other Gospels. But altogether, if you look at them, it's about 19 different healings that were recorded. In 10 of the 19, so more than 50% of the time, in 10 of the 19, Jesus said to the person, your faith has made you well. He didn't say, my faith has made you well, although obviously Jesus brought some faith to the table. But he said, your faith has made you well. A really good example is the woman with the issue of blood, who she was so tenacious in her weakened state that she pushed through the crowd that was pressing in on Jesus and was able to slip through that crowd, maybe on hands and knees through their, their legs, until she got to Jesus and reached out and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Because her belief was, if I can just get to him, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be healed. And she was. And then he turned to her after he realized what was going on and said, fear not, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Do you remember that? So in 10 of the 19 healings recorded in the New, New Testament and recorded in, in the Gospels, 10 of the 19, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. So, I want to make this point about that. In verse 6, first of all, um, and in fact, let me read verse 5 again to give you some context for verse 6. He could not do any miracles there. A, a, a few translations say he could do no mighty miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Verse 6 goes on to say, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. So here's the first of the two barriers to breakthrough, and that's the atmosphere. That's the atmosphere in which you live, where you go to church, the people that you hang out with. So what your church believes and teaches is huge when it comes to you walking in greater faith. It's huge. It's huge. See, it's difficult enough in this culture it's so saturated in unbelief. It's difficult enough in this culture to walk in strong faith, even when your church is teaching properly along these lines. But when a church teaches that miracles and gifts of healing and spiritual gifts have passed away, 
Which, by the way, there's absolutely no biblical evidence of that and no historical evidence of it. Thank God for that. But when your church teaches that, see, here's what so many Christians do. See, we may pray for healing for somebody and they don't get healed. And maybe we do that a few times and it just doesn't happen. And rather than trying to elevate our experience up to what the Word of God says, guess what we do? We lower the Word of God down to meet our experience. Or the lack thereof, I should say. We lower doctrine, we water down doctrine, we lower the, the Word of God down to meet our lack of experience to explain that away. Now, by the way, how many of you in the room know the name Todd White? Todd White's just a radical guy. He does not look like your typical Christian, that's for sure. Okay, he's got dreadlocks and tattoos, and he's just a wild-looking guy. But he's radical in his faith, too. So he started reading stuff like this in the Bible, and he just took it at face value. And he said, I'm going to go out on the street and start praying for people for, for healing. And if memory serves, Todd White did not let his initial lack of experience deter him. He prayed for, Steve, can you help me? You follow Todd White's ministry. How many? He prayed for 100 people without results before he saw his first healing. And now, I mean, his healing ministry is rather profound. Yeah, so he's just a really wild, radical guy. I mean, he's almost like an, an Elijah or a John the Baptist kind of individual. That's kind of how he reminds me. Just real radical. It would not give up because he knew that his lack of experience was not matching up to what we see in the Word of God. So he just continued to go for it. Was not deterred by his lack of experience. And finally, there was a breakthrough. Praise God. So again, if a church teaches that all oh, these things have passed away or they teach an extreme sovereignty of God type of uh, doctrine where God's just going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, regardless of what you and I do, if that's what people are teaching and that's what people are hearing, yeah, then it's very unlikely that you're ever going to walk in the supernatural if that's what you're being saturated in because it's draining your faith, Okay. And also, too, the people that you hang out with are very, very important um, regarding your faith or lack thereof, uh, because they could be influencing your thinking. Like that one story that I told you about several times, I think now, where um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and uh, we were just both new in the Lord. And uh, I started talking about faith issues and the power of declaration and, and that sort of thing. And he turned to me and he said, that's ridiculous. That's just ridiculous. And he was a friend of mine. And he was getting really animated. That's, that's just ridiculous. Well, his life went one way, not a good way. And my life went a different way, a much, much better way. And so uh, there, was, there was fruit to what he believed and fruit to what I believed. Okay? So when you embrace certain things, that becomes your reality. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Praise God. Uh, but even the atmosphere in the region in which you live can make an impact because that's what Jesus experienced when he went back to his hometown. So, you know, I'm convinced that it's more difficult for Americans to receive miracles from God because we have so many other options and because we've been saturated in the culture's unbelief. Right? But listen now, nothing is impossible with God. Anything is possible with God. But let me give you the second possible barrier to breakthrough, and that's the individual. That's the individual. Okay, let me give you a scriptural reference for that. Mark 4.40 said, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, in context, if you read Mark 4, this was the passage where Jesus constrained his disciples to go out on the lake, knowing that there was a, a storm coming. They knew it. They saw the signs. Jesus knew it, but he constrained his disciples to get into the boat. And uh, indeed, a furious storm came up. They were fearing for their life. And, and Jesus was so at peace that he was in the back of the boat asleep. 
Now, I don't know how it's possible to sleep through a storm when you're being beaten up and down, but I kind of think Jesus wasn't asleep, but resting. He was just hanging out and going, I wonder if my disciples are going to take care of this. That's what I think happened. I wonder if the disciples are going to take care of this. And they were panicking for their lives. And they, they said, Master, don't you care if we drown? And so he finally got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And immediately they became calm. And then he said to his disciples, he rebuked them. He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And on other occasions where disciples tried to cast out demons and they couldn't do it, Jesus came on the scene and he said, <sighs> really? He was exasperated with him. He said, how long do I have to be with you, you wicked and unbelieving generation? Now, how would you like for Jesus to respond to you that way? Uh, Jesus, I prayed for healing and I couldn't get healed. And Jesus goes, <sighs> really? You've been with me this long? How long do I have to put up with you? How long do I have to be with you? A wicked and unbelieving generation. And you would probably walk away from that going, <laughs> tail between your legs. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question. What do you feed your mind on every day? Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you feed your mind on the mainstream media every day? Is it the report of modern medicine that is the final word in your life? Is it Hollywood sitcoms and worldly music? If that's what you're feeding your mind on every day, then no, you likely won't be a person of strong faith. Because you're feeding on the world's philosophies, not the word of God. Okay, I'm going to tell you this one scene again. I've probably told it to you a half a dozen times. Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest healing evangelists of modern times, who had 20 documented resurrections that he performed. He, would end, he did crazy stuff. This guy was the most radical man of God, man, man of faith I've ever read about in modern times. I mean, not so modern. He, was, he died in, what, 19... 40 or something, so I don't remember the date of his death, but he was a minister of God in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He was British. And he would do wild stuff, crazy stuff that no, no American would think about doing, like walking into a funeral parlor where there's a funeral going on. This was documented. Pulling the body out of the casket. This happened. Pulling the, the body out of the casket pushing him up into a corner and saying, live. Now, listen to what happened. The body slid down the wall and slumped in the floor. Now, most of the time, most of us, if we tried that, we'd go, oh, rats, that was embarrassing. <laughs> but not Smith Wigglesworth. He pulled the body up, stuck it in the corner again, and said, live. And the body slid down the wall and slumped in the floor again. And I think most people would go, if they, if they got past the first one, they would go, uh, today's not my day. I'm, I'm a little off today. The third time, Smith Wigglesworth pulls him up, sticks him in the corner and says, live. And he came back to life. If you look at the archives and the newspaper articles in Britain at that time, those are documented cases. 20 different times Smith Wigglesworth raised people from the dead. And the reason I bring that up is because he was ultra radical about not letting things in his mind that would diminish his faith. I've heard it said that if somebody came to his door, an invited guest, and they had a newspaper under their arm, even back then, and, of course, the, the propaganda wasn't as bad then as it is now, but it's always been some, you know, mainstream media has always been, that's always been their tactic. They've always been dishonest. Even from the time of George Washington, they told lies on George Washington, for Pete's sake. Anyway, if somebody came to Smith Wigglesworth door with a newspaper under their arm, he said, you can come in, that newspaper stays outside. 
He was just that radical. Because if, if you're going to get the results that, that Smith Wigglesworth did, you have to make some radical choices in your life. Are you feeding on the world's worldly philosophies, the mainstream media, worldly music, Hollywood sitcoms and movies? Um, you know, folks, listen, I want to tell you something. Um, I like watching TV and being entertained as much as anybody. Recently, I got a really large 65-inch flat-screen TV so my sons and I could watch football together. And then when I got that, the football season wasn't going on anymore, I noticed that, man, I'm, you know, I like science fiction movies. So I was, I was watching these science fiction movies and a lot of, I was taking up a lot of my time. And then about the start of, of June, just something shifted in me. And I'm, and I'm like, if I've got time to watch a movie, I've got time to pray. Right? I hardly ever watch movies. For the last three months, two or three months, I, I barely watched any full-length movies. Because my philosophy is now, my, my mindset is now, I'm going after God with everything that I've got right now. And if I've got time to watch a movie and just veg in front of a movie, I've got time to pray. I can tell that really excited all of you. Come on now. If I've got time to watch a movie, I've got time to pray. You know, m movies aren't going to get me farther along in my spiritual life, but prayer will. Study of God's word will. So, again, if that's what you're feeding your mind on every day, the world's philosophies, you won't be a person of strong faith. You have to do as Romans 12, 2 says, and be transformed by how? Absolutely, the, the renewing of your mind. So here's a solution to these two barriers that I talk about, uh, the two barriers to break through. Here's the solution. Romans 12.2 and Romans 10.17. So let's reread Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then Romans 10.17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we're going to operate in strong faith, we've got to shut off the flow of the world and turn on the flow of God's word in our lives. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we want to get results in faith, we've got to get results in the laying on of hands. We've got to be people of strong faith. And the way that that comes is doing what you're doing this morning, hearing the word of God. And, of course, on your own, reading the Word of God, studying it, getting yourself to the place where you really believe this. Because we have a culture, even a church culture, that would push back against some of what I've taught you this morning. Who would say that no miracles have passed away. No gifts of healing have passed away. The gifts of the Spirit have passed away. Again, no biblical evidence for that, no historical evidence for that. I've seen too many street. I, listen, if you want some really good modern day evidence of uh, the fact that the gifts of healing have not passed away, rent the movie The Finger of God and The Finger of God 2. And there's other movies like that, little documentaries like that, that chronicle these people that just radical people, and some of them young people, some of them, you know, beautiful teenagers. Uh, just go out on the street, radical people of faith. They just start praying for strangers and start speaking words of knowledge over them and, and ask to pray if they can pray for their physical infirmities. And, and, and many of them get healed, and that ministers deeply to them. Have you seen some of these documentaries, some of you? It's amazing. It challenges, it really challenges our faith. And I have to tell you, I believe that God is uh, challenging me and challenging our church to step it up in our faith right now. You know, that teaching that I did last week on the doctrine of baptisms, that really challenged me. And this teaching is too. Challenging me as a pastor and as a man of God to come up to a new level and to just take God at his word. 
Because here's, and I got really transparent with you last week about some of my discomforts with the, the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and how that was really uncomfortable for me for a while and how I thought it was, you know, people that believed that were intellectually below me. And you remember my testimony from last week until, until God just dealt with me. I saw it in the scriptures. I, I saw it in my own life. And I just had to acknowledge, okay, if I can't disprove it, then this is, this is something I have to accept. As, as much of a disdain that I had for that practice for a while, I just had to come to a place of, of accepting it, and now I've experienced that. Now, I'm also going to be a little bit transparent with you and, and say that some of my trepidations about teaching about healing and the laying on of hands has been very similar to that. It's not that I haven't believed it. It's like, why don't we see more manifestation of it in our churches today? And, I've, and I have felt like, and this is a confession on my part, a lack of faith on my part, I've, I've been nervous about preaching on this and having any time where we pray for one another along those lines because the fear has been the same that many of your fears have been. What if I pray for this person and it doesn't happen and they don't get healed? I'm going to feel really stupid. And have you ever, ever felt like that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's exacerbated ten times over when you're standing in front of a congregation and you pray for somebody and, and you pray for them and nothing happens. And you're like, uh, boy, that went over like a lead balloon. Okay. So, that, again, I'm just being transparent with you. That's why I haven't taught on this more because I've seen so little results in so many people's lives that say they believe this. And so I've been just a little bit nervous, a little bit trepidatious about teaching on this. But I've just decided I'm going to take God at his word. I am. And you know what? If we make some mistakes along the way, if we stumble along the way in practicing this, get back up off the horse and try again. Those of you that have been prayed for before and nothing seems to have happened, don't give up. Keep praying. Keep having somebody lay their hands on you. And so we're going to do some of that this morning. Let's just take the attitude that we're all practicing. We're all practicing. And if uh, we lay our hands on somebody and nothing happens, hey, no problem. Do as Todd White did. Go back and try again later. And eventually there's going to be some breakthrough. Okay? So uh, we're almost done here. But I want to remind you that your hands are God's instruments. So again, I want to since we talked about the areas that kind of inhibit breakthrough, I don't want to leave you on that note. This is the note I don't want to leave you on, Mark 16, 18. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay? Now again, I, I think we haven't seen more manifestation of that because people have been in fear about what have I try and it doesn't happen and we, we live in a culture of unbelief. But look, we can overcome that. Jesus' word is still true. The Bible is still true. So even though we do live in a time of great deception and unbelief, still we can rise above that if we have faith that we can do so. Okay? So once again, your hands are instruments of God's power your hands are instruments if you can accept that they are, if you can believe that your hands are instruments of God's power. Because that's, that's only possible if you really believe it. If you really believe it. All right, here's what we're going to do. I don't want to freak anybody out and make anybody uncomfortable. Um, so here's what I propose. I'm going to propose that we close down the formal service today, but if anybody wants to stick around, here's what I'm going to propose. I'm not going to be like a one-man show here and lay my hands on sick people and pray for them because the Bible says that you all have that power because it's in you. The Bible says it's in you. Okay? So here's what I propose doing. And again, if this makes any of you uncomfortable at all, then if you need to go if you're like, eh, I'm not sure about that, um, maybe, maybe another time, then okay, it's no problem. You can be dismissed and no harm, no foul. I'm not offended by that if you do that. Um, we're all in a growing process, aren't we? We're all in a process of growing. So if this makes you uncomfortable at all, 
you're formally dismissed now, but for those of you that want to stick around and practice what we just heard, because listen, I'm tired of just talking about the Word of God and never doing it. I'm tired of, of just talking kingdom and never practicing it. So at some point, we're just going to have to step up and say, okay, I'm not sure about this yet. I'm growing in my faith, but let's just try and see what happens. And maybe somebody's going to get healed this morning. And if it doesn't happen, let's say, fine, um, get back up on my horse and we'll try again. I'm not giving up. I know the, what the Word of God says. Okay? So I'm going to pray and dismiss, sort of, our formal service. I'll give our benediction, if you will. But for those of you who want to stick around, we are going to have a time of prayer. And you are going to lay hands on one another. Because the power is in you, as long as you believe it. The power is in you. It just is released through faith. Okay? Does that make sense? Amen. All right. All right. Yeah, praise God. Again, if you need to go, no problem. But here's how we're going to handle this practicing of the Word of God. Um, Who in the room, if you want to admit it, would have a physical ailment or infirmity of any, any sort that you want prayed over. Okay. There's several of you. Okay. So the people sitting next to you are going to be the ones that pray over you. Now, listen, lay your hands on them. Again, your hands are instruments of God's power. Pray in the name of Jesus. And I realize that some of you are still developing your faith. It's okay. We're practicing. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.